Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. In this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin welcome the co-hosts of the Technical Foul podcast and the Lot Done Bucks podcast, Camille Davis. We get Camille's thoughts on a disappointing All-Star game, but a headlining-making NBA All-Star Saturday night. And then we get Camille's thoughts on Doc Rivers' 3-7 and records as he's taken over as coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's not time to panic over that record. And a lot of people have commented on Doc Rivers' baggage and just a lot of negative energy over him taking over as coach since Adrian Griffin has been fired. But Camille really has a positive attitude in terms of Doc Rivers as coach and their chances of winning the NBA championship. You don't want to miss her thoughts on not only this, but also Dame Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, their chemistry as teammates, and just the Bucks overall as their path lies in the Eastern Conference. Hoopsology is presented by Ball's Life. And now, Camille Davis. You can see her work on the Technical Foul podcast and the Locked on Bucks podcast. We welcome Camille Davis onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Camille. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for coming on to the show and great timing as, you know, I would say the Bucks had a huge presence during All-Star Weekend with um, Dame winning the three-point contest and then, you know, Giannis being the All-Star captain for the East, them winning the game um, as the recording of this podcast last night. So I just want to get your overall thoughts on All-Star Weekend, you covering the Bucks from this a Bucks perspective. Did you enjoy it or um, are you joining on kind of just the hatred that we're seeing all over social media, um, just whether it's All-Star, not also so much the Saturday night, but the, the game itself. What are your overall thoughts of the weekend? Yeah, so I don't go into the All-Star game generally expecting a competitive game. I just don't at this point. It's, it's been too long for me to see and to come in like that's at the point of foolishness to think that it's going to be different, right? And then after the game, you see the comments from like Anthony Edwards where he's like, at the end of the day, it's a break. I don't think anybody wants to come here and compete. It's fun. It's always going to be fun. And hearing him say that made me go, and this is why I view the All-Star game this way. For me, I just want to be entertained. Show me some highlights. Do something crazy that you might not see in a regular season game. Give me some laughs. Give me some oohs and ahs. And that's a success for me. I think like the crowning jewel of All-Star Weekend is really All-Star Saturday night. And with that, I think the three-point contest has earned the right to be the grand finale of All-Star Saturday night, especially after seeing the Steph or Sabrina uh, shootout, which was outstanding. Love that. So I think All-Star Saturday night is really like the 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 key to unlock for All-Star Weekend going forward. And if they can if they're open to adding different events, maybe shortening the skills competition, I'm team bring on a one-on-one uh tournament to All-Star Weekend somehow some way some shape some form. Would love to see that. But all in all, the All-Star game itself, just show me something cool and impressive, give me some laughs and I'm going to be I'm, I'll take that. Are you on board with the WNBA being involved more? So I heard a lot of ideas in terms of, you know, bringing on, you know, 
three of the best shooters from the WNBA and put them against, you know, the NBA top shooters. You know, Caitlin Clark certainly making a lot of noise and cause basketball. It's only a matter of time where she ends up in the W. Um, do you see that kind of cross fusion happening in the future of All-Star Saturday night specifically? I think so. And I hope so. That's what it seemed like from how well the Sabrina versus Steph uh, three-point contest went. And based on the comments that both of them made, it seems as if they were thinking about this being a new event going forward. Like it's not a one-time thing based on what they were saying. You could tell they both were hoping that it went really well so it could open up more opportunities to do more. And I love the crossover between WNBA and NBA. We've already seen some G League influence here. We've had uh, a G Leaguer win the dunk contest the last two years now. Um, so like I love the crossover between all the entities that make up the NBA world. I think that's really cool and it brings a lot of different eyes into the product. Camille, just piggybacking off of that, I mean, what do you think is the fallout after the success of the Steph and Sabrina contest? I mean, do you think we're seeing uh, NBA versus WNBA like spaced out, like separate event like it was this year? Or do you see more rather on the other side, like more WNBA players just flat out competing in the three-point competition i mean are we are we just going to integrate both is that what this is leading to where do you see it going that's a great question i my personal opinion and again it's not like i have any insidely information but i think they still keep that separate just because there have been records for so long for the nba mm. three-point contest you want to keep i think the sanctity of that because the nba speaks a lot about the records and why they do things. And they, they love to be able to track that type of history. So I think you keep them separate, but I love the integration of WNBA at NBA All-Star Weekend. And hopefully I hope that leads to more NBA participation at the WNBA All-Star Weekend as well. Just kind of getting them both uh, going and creating more collaboration between the two entities. Um, Camille, we want to shift gears and talk about the Bucks. Uh, oh, always cool. very compelling. And... Just when we, I first asked you to come on to the podcast, a lot was going on with just um, Adrian Griffin and just Doc Rivers and just that whole situation. Can you kind of take us before Doc Rivers took over this team? What was the vibe of the Bucks when you before you heard the news of Griffin's firing? Did you have any feelings of where this team really needed to make a severe change, or were you kind of on on board in terms of the record and how things were going? And they're at the you know near the top of the East. Um, did, you, did you kind of see this coaching change coming? Um, what were your kind of initial reactions before kind of these transition to the Doc Rivers era? I was shocked that they actually made the coaching switch in the middle of the season. Now there had been noise from fans and from other people who cover the team um, on a casual basis saying like, Hey, I think Adrian Griffin should be on the hot seat for this team. And I always thought that was premature. It's a first time head coach walking into a job with enormous expectations, right? You're coming into a team that just fired a head coach because they flamed out in the first round. And here you come uh, before Giannis signs an extension, you're named the head coach I'm so thankful that with that Dame trade Giannis did sign the extension because at least that took one storyline off the table for the Milwaukee Bucks throughout the season we don't have to keep hearing like hey is Giannis going to resign what's happening with Giannis at least that part is off the table right and under Griff the Bucks were 30 and 13 second in the east everything looked really good if you only looked at the standing itself but when you looked at the games and you watched the games in the process heard what the players were saying 
it just seemed like the process wasn't necessarily equaling the results and that the results were coming primarily because of the talent that this team had in addition to the schedule that they were uh, playing against at the time. They had the easiest schedule up until uh, the end of the year at that point. So it's like, hey, they were able to continue to make headway in the standings. But once the calendar changed to 2024, right, and the Bucks come out, you have the back-to-back against Indiana. They lose both of those games. We know Milwaukee and Indiana now have a budding rivalry. They beat San Antonio, and you feel like, okay, cool. At least we got that win. But then they lose to Houston. And after the Houston game, you're hearing Giannis come out, and he's talking about how this team needs to have more pride. It's not sustainable to score 140 every single game and win the game. At some point, you're going to have to play defense. And he gives this big speech in the media saying, we all need to be better. We all have to play better. Equipment manager has to be better. I have to be better. We all have to be better, right? And then the very next game, they lose to Utah by almost 20 points. And you're just like, that's that's the opposite of what Giannis was just talking about. And under Adrian Griffin, the Bucks, according to Cleaning the Glass, had the 21st ranked defense in the league. The offense was fourth. You expected the offense to be good. And the Bucks thought, of course, when you swap out Dame for Drew, the defense will take a step back. But they didn't think it would take that far of a step back when you have Giannis and Brooks still as defensive anchors on this team. So a change had to be made because the process wasn't equaling the results that they thought were going to be sustainable come postseason. And with the Bucs now paying three head coaches, it goes to show the level of urgency that they have around this team competing this year. And under since they've gotten rid of Adrian Griffin, again, a smaller sample size, but the Bucs have been the 11th best defense in the league since the coaching switch. It's just that the offense has now become 16th best after being fourth best. So there are still things to need to iron out there and get on the same page about, but uh, that defense is looking better. And I do have confidence that the offense will find a way to come together as well. Camille, is there any sort of shift in confidence with the front office? I mean, I think you could easily make the argument Um maybe they made a big misstep there in hiring coach Griffin. Uh, Have you sensed, I mean, with getting doc rivers in, does that kind of show a sense of being back in control over things? How is the perception with the front office from what you've seen? In in my opinion, uh, let me, let me say this first Uh, as a Bucks fan, someone who's born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin covers the Bucks now. Um, If you would have told me in May, after the Bucks fired Mike Budenholzer, that they were going to be hiring Doc Rivers as their next head coach, I would have been very disappointed because I would have said, mm. we have Doc Rivers at home. We just got, we just had Doc <laughs> Rivers and Mike Budenholzer. You know, these are two coaches who are very experienced. They can raise the, the floor of teams, right? They get that low hanging fruit. They coach really well. They're going to be very forthright and honest, but come playoff time, you have some questions about the game plan. You have some questions about the adjustments. And that's the piece where I would have been like, no, like I, I don't want to go from Bud to Doc. But after going the Adrian Griffin route, which reports came out saying that part of why he got the job was that Giannis tagged him as his favorite candidate, which Giannis does push back a little bit on a little bit, saying like, I didn't have a role in the hiring. People ask my opinion. I give it. Let that be as it is. Um, He's going to be attached to Griffin. That's just the reality of how that goes. But, I mean, that's a piece of it. And at that time, Giannis had not signed an extension uh, on his contract yet. So 
you're trying to do things that you think are going to position the Bucks to have the most success going forward. Because all Giannis has said is that as long as this team is competitive, as long as this team shows me that they want to win as much as I do, I will be a Milwaukee Buck. So John Horst hired the coach that he thought could, you know, that could grow with this team. Again, high pressure situation. But seeing Griff and seeing that the team didn't have an identity, that's one thing Doc mentioned when he came in, like, what's the identity of this team? And nobody knew. Like, no one's fearing the deer, he was saying, like, when he came in. We have to bring that back. So uh, after going through Adrian Griffin, and it's not me trying to disparage his name, um, but it's just seeing how having Doc in the building and being able to communicate with his stars, because the Bucks are a super team for all intents and purposes when you have two top 75 guys on your team, being able to manage those personalities, being able to communicate clearly, being able to make sure the guys know what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, one of the things that was most interesting to me when Doc came in is that in one of the very limited practices that he's had, because they haven't had much time to practice, um, it was a practice where he didn't let any of the coaches speak. And all the players had to communicate the entire time. And he said, at first, you could see them like looking around, waiting for somebody to say something. And once they realized it was on them, they began to talk. The Bucs have been a low communication team defensively, which has been part of the problem. As you know, like defense on a string, connected, everybody needs to understand. Um, so Doc's come in and he simplified things for them as well. Like before you were seeing Damian Lillard crashing the defensive boards, like, no, he's like, no, just get back on defense. And we don't need guards coming down here and trying to board, like just establishing some rules that might sound fundamental. Like Doc came in and helped show them how to implement a trapping defense that he, the way he wanted it to be ran. So when you see those type of base level things that Doc's coming in and setting for this veteran team, it's like, I understand why you had to go and make this coaching change if they weren't clear previously with Adrian Griffin. So um, now I'm happy to have Doc in place because I think they have enough talent to be able to really make some noise and really contend for a championship. They just needed to kind of be straightened out and guided a little bit better than what they were uh, perceivably before with Adrian Griffin. So are you okay with the Bucks since Doc Rivers has taken over going three, you know, losing seven times and we're only three wins? I mean, what's kind of the vibe? He comes with a lot of baggage, a lot of detractors for Doc Rivers. Mm -hmm. um, is this kind of the record since he's taken over? Is that's kind of like the team filling itself out for the second half of the season? Are you? It seems like what you're saying is that the small sample size in terms of the record, it's not to be taken too seriously compared to the long-term goal, which is, of course, them win the championship. Absolutely. That's exactly uh, how I feel about it. And Doc made a joke when he came aboard saying, like, I'm starting my coaching journey here with the Bucks at the start of the longest road trip of the season against one of the most difficult stretches of the season for this team. Like, for the rest of the season, the Bucks have the toughest remaining schedule in the Eastern Conference. So you pair that into the fact with uh, a new head coach coming in, trying to implement his terminology, bringing new coaches along with him, filling out the coaching staff, trying to understand terminology, uh, all of that when you don't have much time to practice as it is during an NBA season, there's no training camp um, and you're just trying to make time. In addition to that, your first games against the defending champion, you know, Denver Nuggets. And when I look at the 10 games that Doc has coached, I'm not as worried about the end result now come post all-star break. We want to see the process start to uh, result in some wins. But with the first 10 games, you have Denver defending champs. The Bucs played them tough. They lost by six. That happens. Defending champions. Okay. 
The Portland loss. Now that one is where I can't excuse. That's a bad loss. That's one of the ones where it's like, you should have won that game. They have a pretty big comeback against Dallas. They beat Dallas. Second half of back-to-back, they have Utah. They play well for three quarters. Come fourth quarter, they ran out of gas. They just didn't have it. They lose that game. And I should mention they were out without Brooke Lopez in that game as well. They were trying to do some small ball lineups. Didn't really work as well against Utah as it did against Dallas. Um, So you saw those results as well. Then they lose to Phoenix. That's a game where Chris Middleton uh, sprains his ankle severely in the first quarter. They don't have Chris for most of that game. They didn't have Dame. It was really just kind of Giannis out there trying to hold it together as the star power for the team during that game against a pretty healthy Phoenix team, um, and they lose that game by eight. They kept it pretty close, but then they ran out of offense. Uh, then they come back home. They lose against Minnesota, the best defensive team in the league. No Brooke, no Chris, no Dame. Understandable how that can happen. Then they beat Charlotte at home. Denver comes to town. They beat Denver at home. They lose to Miami in what I think is another bad loss for the team. And then they lose to Memphis, which I thought was an effort loss, where it's like it's the game before the break. Guys aren't really here. They mailed it in. Disappointing to see for sure, but I don't know what you really take out of that game. So looking at those 10 games in that way, it's like there's a couple losses in there that are bad, and you can't sugarcoat that. But for the most part, with how this Bucks team is constructed, with them being so top-heavy contractually with Giannis, with Dame, and then Brooke and Chris, with those four taking up most of your salary cap, those are the four guys you're really counting on for your offensive firepower, right? So when you're missing some of them, it changes the equation for this team somewhat. Um, again, got to be healthy. We all know that for most teams. But for the Bucks being so top-heavy um, and with their bench being what it is, like you need those guys to be healthy. So although they've been 3-7 and seven under Doc, I don't think that they have been playing as bad as the record with the understanding that they're learning different concepts, different schemes, trying to implement different things. Also having to up their level of conditioning uh, to play for Doc because he told them, hey, you show me you can play defense. Now I expect this particular level going forward. So there's some conditioning things as well. Um, So long way of saying (laughs) the record alone, I don't think tells the full story of what the Bucs have been under Doc. But if you continue to see the process not leading to the wins as the season continues after the break, I mean, then you can have some questions. But um, I do think that Doc is the right guy because the players seem very bought in and invested to what he has going on as well. Yeah, and that leads exactly where where I wanted to go with my next question. Um, You mentioned a great analysis of what Doc has done, by the way, and to kind of distill what you had said, I mean, it sounds like he's provided direction that they've sorely needed and he's simplified things, which Mm -hmm. um, I I think is a great strategy to, you know, relieve frustrations and and not do too much at once, you know, not uh, talk over people in the room, so to speak. Have you seen, you mentioned, um, you know, attitude shifting a little bit there. Have you been able to see that and notice that already shift in body language or, or things like that, or maybe just a little more assuredness with those players uh, in games you've seen? Yeah, I absolutely would. Guys seem to be really into the defense. Like they've always had a like, hey, we want to play defense. And you're seeing it with Doc and you're seeing them get up for it. Even after the losses, you were hearing the guys say like, hey, like give us a little time like this. We believe in this process. Now, with that being said, I do think that the Milwaukee Bucks have somewhat, I don't want to say an effort problem. But there have been a few games under both head coaches where you're like, this is not a game I think that you should have lost. But you 
I don't want to disrespect any other teams because they're all NBA teams, but you're playing a little bit down to your level of competition. The Bucks have been one of the best teams in the league so far against top competition, but against other teams where you're like, hey, this should be a this should be a layup. It's been tough for them. And I think part of that comes in as a team that's full of vets who are looking to get to the postseason. And sometimes you you lose your focus. You don't have the effort. And I think again, that Memphis game before break is a great example of that, where Doc himself said you had half the guys in Cabo. And the other half of the guys were here. And he pointed out direct plays like to start a quarter, like two guys don't know the play that's being ran here. Then no one gets back on defense. That's an effort thing. Like you're just not at this point trying hard enough. So if the Bucks again, coming out of the break and Giannis called that out saying like, we've been talking about wanting to be a championship team. We've all been saying the right things. Now we have to show it. We have to prove it. And that's going to be the test for this team, seeing how they come out of the break, uh, again, against a very difficult schedule because they come out the break in their first games at home against Minnesota. So it's it's going to be a tough sledding for this Milwaukee Bucks team, but I think having a high-level competition is actually going to be good for them um, going forward. And then the hope is that Chris Middleton isn't out too much longer uh, with that ankle injury so he can get implemented and integrated back into what they have going on now under Doc Rivers. Do you think that's, you know, maybe along the lines of a, a trend we've been seeing, you know, maybe over the last decade of basketball? I mean, it seems like I've seen the Warriors kind of struggle to find motivation at times during the regular season. You could even argue the the defending champs right now, the Nuggets, are a little bit in kind of that malaise. Do you think there's at least some comfort maybe in in that, you know, it's it's hard to ramp up for 82 games out of the year? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something to that. And again, I've been watching the Bucks for a very long time. I remember when the Bucks were that bad team, you know, going up against these really good championship contending teams and giving them all they got. I remember very clearly after playing Cleveland one year where LeBron was like, yo, uh, Giannis and Jabari Parker, like they played really well in this game, but I would challenge them to do that against everybody. Like, don't just come with that energy against us. Do that against mm-hmm. everyone. We saw this Bucks team uh, snap the Warriors' uh, win streak when they won the twenty. They were twenty four and one. It was because you know the Bucks came out and they played really hard, and that wasn't a Bucks team that anybody thought was going to go far. It was just some young guys seeing an opportunity uh, to make some noise, make a statement, and they did that. So I understand how it goes being on both sides of that, and I think the Bucks at this point being on that championship side now just sometimes lose the focus. I want to ask you, Camille, about just the Eastern Conference itself. And what teams do you see pose the biggest threat for the Bucs? It's been kind of turbulent in terms of 76ers with Embiid, the Heat, they're always up and down, but they're always a huge threat. You see the rise of the Cavaliers and even now the New York Knicks. Um, where do you see the Bucs and their possible pitfalls? Or do you think if they get, you know, everything improves on their dock, you see them having kind of a smooth um, sail into the NBA finals? Of course, they have to go through the Celtics as well. That's another um right kind of powerful team there. Do you, do you kind of see any of those teams posing a big threat to the Bucks at all? Uh, the Celtics, of course, is, is the one there where you call out. And even coming into the season, I came into the season thinking the Celtics were the best team in the East. Um, and they have been playing just like that so far, even though the Bucks uh, played them, they, they, you know, the two times they've seen each other so far this season uh, in the first matchup, the Bucks got down big quick, but they put together a pretty good comeback, made the game competitive, had a chance to win it, but tricked it off at the end there. Um, and then again, they saw Boston, blew them out in the first half. The starters sat the rest of the game there. Celtics were on the second half of back-to-back. That happens in the NBA. 
Um, and still, like, it's an impressive showing because the Bucks do get up against great competition. They split the season series uh, with um, the, the Cavaliers, so they don't have a tiebreaker there. But Cleveland's going to be tough for them as well. This isn't the Leastron Conference anymore. <laughs> like, when LeBron was really running the East and it's like, hey, there's no comp here. Like, the East has some really good teams. I mentioned Boston, Cleveland, the Knicks. While they're they are good and they are better, and I kind of hate the fact that the Bucks have already seen the Knicks uh, for this season. We didn't get to see them with the trades made, uh, but they've gotten better. The 76ers, all that rides, of course, on Joel Embiid and his health. We have never gotten a Milwaukee Bucks 76ers playoff series with Giannis and Embiid um, at the helm. And I know both fan bases have been wanting it, but um, I think Philly is still a beatable team for the Bucks. The Pacers who won the season series against the Bucks. I know there are some people who are like, Hey, the Pacers make us nervous, but I think that the Bucks uh, pose a great matchup for them. I wouldn't say like, Hey, the Bucks are going to lose that series. It's going to be competitive for sure, but I would still expect the Bucks to win that. And then you have the Heat, who, although they're seventh in the East, you can't ever count out the Miami Heat uh, because Jimmy Butler just takes it to a different level every single time in the postseason. I saw it firsthand last season when they were the eighth seed, came in and knocked out the Bucks uh, when Jimmy Butler turned into Michael Jordan Jr. somehow, some way, <laughs> some shape, some form. So there's going to be comp for the Bucks for sure. But what gives me hope and encouragement about their postseason chances is the fact that uh, they have played well against other top teams in the league. I believe their records like nine and seven against the top teams in the league, which is I believe fourth or fifth best uh, in the NBA at this point. So like, it's going to be a challenge for sure. But when you have Damian Lillard and you have Beyonce Adekumpo, you like your chances. Do you think there's any particular vulnerability you're noticing more than others? I mean, other than, of course, like the team's own health, we got to assume health to be able to make any any sort of prediction. Um, but from things that you've seen so far this season, like do they do well in big matchups, small matchups, where advantage disadvantages like that that you see jumping out to you? That's a great question as well, because one thing that we've seen with Doc a little bit more than we have seen with Griff, and it's, again, very small sample sizes, but Doc does want to utilize a small ball lineup when he can. Um, mm -hmm. And we saw it work very well against Dallas when they were without Lively because they were a smaller team. If you have Giannis at your five and you're switching everything, it, it poses some very interesting and challenging dilemmas for the opposing team especially that game because it was Luca. There was no Kyrie. So the Bucks were really able to focus their defensive attention on Luca and go from there. And I think the possibilities for the Bucks being able to throw that small ball lineup out there with the defenders that they have on this team where you could mix and match, assuming health, of course, but if you have Giannis out there manning, you know, that center spot and you can surround him with Chris Middleton, a Jay Crowder, uh, Damian Lillard, Malik Beasley, if you want the shooting, or you can go with the Patrick Beverly role and have him come in as well if you're switching everything. Like there are some things they can do that I think are going to be really interesting come postseason time. But for the Bucks, it's really those effort, uh, those effort plays like transition defense, gotta get back. And we've seen in the regular season so far where there are just some matchups where they are poor in transition defense. That was a big problem under Griffin that you've seen clean up a bit under Doc. Um, and they have to play at that particular level consistently. Like that's the thing with this Bucks team. It's the transition defense, it's defensive rebounds, it's it's being in position, not over helping, understanding, communicating, um, and doing those things that they have to be uh, very tight 
about come postseason time when the competition is going to ramp up even more. Yeah, it seems like the top three teams in the East, I mean, really one of the major strengths. Of course, they're all three of them pretty deep teams, which is always helpful, but they're also, I, I would argue, the most versatile teams um, that can really mix up matchups uh, like that. Yeah, absolutely. And then the Bucks. I mean, having Brooke Lopez, we know he's aging, but he's still one of the best rim defenders in the league. And when you have a guy like Brooke Lopez, that doesn't that gives me confidence if it is a Philly type of matchup where it's an Embiid in a bigger body because you have bigger bodies to throw as well. And sometimes the Bucks can use their size uh, to pose some real dilemmas for other teams. Like it's not official yet as of this recording, but the rumors is that Danilo Gallinari is coming to the Milwaukee Bucks on the buyout market, which will give you another 6'10 forward, not so great defensively, um, but coming off the bench and providing another offensive spark, I think is going to be important for this team and how you're able to mix and match him in based on what the team needs for that night, I think could be really interesting as well. So like you said, the versatility aspect of what this team can do um, is going to, to be a barometer for their success going forward because you have to be able to throw out a few different pitches in order to be successful in the postseason. Camille, last question for you. Um, how have you reacted to the combination of Dame and Giannis? Uh, we, we covered Portland a lot just with Lillard and just kind of him being, besides with him and CJ McCollum, kind of a, a one-man kind of show there um, with the Blazers. And now going to the Bucks, Dame having a real shot at winning an NBA championship. Do you think that him... And Giannis, do you think their chemistry has gelled together? Are you still seeing some growing pains? Um, what do you think the, their combinations and what do you think will happen once they end up in the playoffs together? I think there are still some growing pains. Dame himself has been very transparent. I've loved having Dame on this team for that because he's a player who's going to be honest. He's not really sugarcoating too much when he talks to the media, when he talks to anybody. He's going to be pretty straight up about how he's feeling things are going. And when you saw the trade was announced, that Dame was coming to play in Milwaukee with Giannis, my mind first went to, oh my God, how do you stop that pick and roll? Like just spam this over and over and over. And that's a play that has been very successful for the Bucks, but under Griffin wasn't ran as frequently as a lot of people hoped or thought that it should be given how successful that it is. Doc comes in and he mentions one of the first things he's trying to do is get Dame comfortable and also utilize the two-man game between Dame and Giannis. In addition to that, three-man game with Dame, Giannis, and Chris. Because I think that's an underrated aspect of all of this as well with Dame coming into town is that that regulates Chris Middleton to being a third option uh, for this team. And we know he's had the injury problems over the last couple of seasons, but uh, before he turned his ankle this year, uh, the play has been looking very good. He's been shooting at a very good clip, one of the best mid-range shooters in the league. Um, and he just opens up so much when there's so much defensive attention on what Dame and Giannis are doing. But hey, you just left Chris Middleton open or Malik Beasley open. So I do think that there is still room for the Giannis Dame pairing to grow. And that's something that Dame or that Doc is looking to unlock uh, during his time here. And that's something I'm going to be looking at because for all the strides that uh, the defense has taken so far under Doc, it's that offense that still needs to come along a little bit more. And part of that's going to come with the two of them um, getting that synergy together. 18th best offense in the league since the coaching change isn't going to be good enough. That's not why you make this trade. You make this trade to be elite defensively while taking a step back defensively, understanding that, hey, we need more offense because postseason, 
that's what's left the Bucks. It's been the offense that's been a slug for like it's just been tough for them. So I think there's still room for them to grow. Dame's been a little uh, inconsistent with the shooting as well so far this season. And again, I understand that. He always starts the season off slow. I've heard from many Portland fans mentioning that uh, it takes time for him to get into a rhythm based on how he treats his off seasons. And uh, he's also having to adjust to being on a new team, adjust to not being the primary ball handler at all times because Giannis likes the ball in his hands as well. So there's still adjustments, but I do think the two of them, they work. We see it. The numbers support the fact that when you run that two man game with the two of them, it's productive. So just, them understanding, getting more comfortable with that, um, I think it's going to be key for this Milwaukee Bucks offense. Camille, this has been a fantastic chat. Thank you very much for joining us. Can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media and any other projects you're working on as well? Yeah, for sure. On social media, you can find me on the website formerly known as Twitter um, at Camille Monet, C-A-M-I-L-L-E-M-O-N-A-E. Same thing on Instagram as well, if you're interested in that. Um, And as for my other sports podcast weekly, the Technical File Podcast, that's T-E-C-K-N-I-C-A-L. We cover professional wrestling, NBA, and NFL on a weekly basis. We record every Tuesday live on our YouTube page. So if you come, join drop comments we read them we interact with them live on air very interactive show episodes release wherever you get podcasts every wednesday Um, monday through friday you can also catch me on locked on bucks covering all things milwaukee bucks with justin garcia and frank madden Um, and then if you're a football fan i also do some packers work uh during the season uh the carry the g and mke podcast with cheesehead tv um, and then on a weekly basis, uh, every Friday on the audio platforms, uh, you can catch me with the Pack-A-Day pod talking all things Green Bay Packers football. Awesome. I bet you're very busy with uh, WrestleMania season coming up. I've been, it's been so a, excited for not it. A, not a lack to talk about there. So <laughs> I'll be just checking out your opinions on what happens in April. So absolutely. Um, thank you very much, Camille, for coming on to the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Had a great time. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology, presented by Ball's Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.